As we come now to the scripture, please, let me ask you to pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning and we pray that you would be with us. Help us to love you with our minds by thinking, with our ears by listening, with our eyes by seeing, with our strength by doing. We can love you in every way. For you have loved us. So now, Father, as we come to this word, I pray for me, for us, that we'd be attentive to it, that you would enable us to believe it, where we fall short to confess and repent. And we pray that you would enable us then by your spirit to live in a way that is pleasing, is loving to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to the Gospel of John in chapter 14. I want to read verse 15 through Verse 31, I won't get to all of that, but it's important, I think, for us to see it. So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. And as you're turning to that or finding that, you'll see the table is set this morning. It's our tradition to generally have communion on the first Sunday of the month, but during this Lenten period, this time leading up to uh, the Resurrection Sunday of Easter, uh, we're going to celebrate communion each Sunday Lent is a time in the Christian year where we, we think about the sacrifice of Christ and even our own sacrifice, if you will, our own denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following Him. The tradition of some is to fast at times during this season of Lent, uh, various things. So on Sundays, we want to make sure we're not confused, and so we, we have a feast, and so it's a feast day for us. So we, we have communion each Sunday during this Lenten. John chapter 14 and verse 15. Hear the word of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, I read all of that. I'm only going to do verse 15 and a bit of 16. But but so much, you see, holds together in this in this whole passage. I really would have loved to have read the rest. I hope during the course of the week you'll sit in one reading and take chapter 13 and go all the way through at least chapter 16, if not through chapter 17. It will give you this whole picture that we're going to try to unpack in the weeks to come. But you see, this verse 15 lays it all out. It begins with this expression of Jesus, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That runs through this entire passage. For instance, not only is it in verse 15, but verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And then verse 31 kind of gives Jesus' own application of this in his own life. That is to say, because he loves the Father, he keeps his Father's word. Notice how he puts it. He said, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So there's this, this tie between our love for Jesus and our keeping his word or keeping his commandments. They're locked, they're tied together. Now, this has been a crazy evening for the disciples of Jesus. They gather this for this Passover meal, familiar to them, but different because it'll be the last Passover meal necessary because Jesus is going to fulfill all that this Passover meal um, uh, points to, and then he'll take it and he'll say, now this is how I want you to think of this. This is how I want you to take this supper. This is how I want you to commune together in my name. So you see what's happening on this nice, this, this progression from this Passover to meal to what we have as communion as reflection upon and being in the very presence of and receiving from Jesus. And they've been stunned on this night. They were stunned first when, when, when Jesus washed their feet. They didn't have a category in their brain for anybody but a humble and the lowest of servants doing that kind of task, let alone their master, let alone the Lord of glory. And so they were stunned by that. And then when he said, this is how I want you to live. I want you to live like this, not grasping to your own rights or your own honor, your own station in life, but I want you to humble yourself, whatever means is necessary in order to do good to even the lowest among you. I want you to, to live like that stunning expression. I want you to love as I have loved you. That will take on deeper meaning in just hours from now in their case. And then he was stunned when he said, I'm going to send you, and, and whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, that is my father. Think of that. And then they're stunned by the fact that there's going to be betrayal of one of them against Jesus. And then the stunning statement that Jesus makes that he's going to go, and they can't follow. 
Because, of course, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to go into glory and he's going to sprinkle his own blood in the temple that has been made, not with human hands, but the table in glory, the, the temple in glory, that, that place there that's going to bring atonement for sin and satisfy the wrath of God against the sins of sinners. And that they're stunned by that that they can't follow, but, but then they're stunned by the very fact that, that a day will come when he'll come and get them because where he's going is, is, the, is, is, is a place and he's going to prepare that place for them is going prepares that place so that they can be with him in glory forever and they're stunned by the fact that they know the way there even though they don't think they know the way there he says you do know the way there because you know me because i'm the way and the truth and the life you see and so they're stunned by the very fact that they know that they're stunned by the fact that, 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 that if they've seen jesus they've seen the father and they're stunned by the fact that they're to do the works of Jesus, even greater works than Jesus, because he goes to the Father. They're stunned by the fact that he says to them, you can ask anything in my name, anything so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and I will do it. And now, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and he says it again and he says it again and he says it again now this raises a number of questions one what is this love for Jesus two how is this love for Jesus connected to our obedience to our keeping his word thirdly how is it then that this statement of Jesus leads him to ask about to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to us so we want to know what, what is this love for Jesus how is it connected really to our obedience to him and what really in the midst of that are we to obey what, what particular does Jesus have in mind that we're to obey and, and then why does this lead him to speak of the Holy Spirit and and then really, what does this mean in the context of our own lives? So what really is this, this love for Jesus? You see, it's a bit odd, I must confess. Even though the great commandment is that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus usually speaks of our believing in him. I would have expected him to say, if you trust me, if you believe in me... Even if you know me, then you'll obey your, my commandments. But, but, but he doesn't put it like that. He doesn't even say, because I've loved you, keep my word. He says, if you love me. Jesus had spoken about love before Matthew in chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus puts it like this. That if anyone loves father or mother son or daughter more than me, he's not worthy of me. There's this sense of love, that extreme love, that preeminent love, that overriding love for Jesus so that no other love compares to that love. Surely we're to love our father and mother. Surely we're to love our children. Surely we're to love our parents. But he says, if anyone loves anyone even the ones you're to love 
more than me. You're not worthy of me. And you remember, there was a woman on one occasion who came into a dinner party and Jesus was there and this woman saw Jesus and she washed essentially his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. And do you remember why she did that, at least according to Jesus? said she was forgiven much. She loves much. There's a sense in which he said she did it because she loves me. Not in a romantic sense. She loves me as the son of God. She loves me as she loves God. She loves me because she's been forgiven much. She gets it and that getting it because of the love. Not just believe. Yes, believe, but love me. Now he says to us, to them, to us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we should say, of course, what's there not to love of Jesus? Phil Spector, 1958, wrote a song. You know this song, it'll be in your head all day and you'll hate me for it. But you can't, you have to love me. But anyway, that comes later in the sermon. To know him is to love him. That song. Bob's thinking of it right now. Now, to know him is to to love him. It wasn't written about Jesus, but it could have uniquely been. That's the one you could really sing that about to know him really is to love. See, to know me really is, is to ultimately be disappointed. It's ultimately to find stuff where I'm just simply not all that lovable. But to know Jesus is to love him. What is there not to love of him? He's perfect in every way. He satisfies in every way. He never disappoints. He never breaks a promise. And he gives himself for us. There is nothing He wouldn't, didn't sacrifice for our well-being. To know him, you see, really is to love him. And, And our love for him is different than his love for us. You see, his love for us is a love that's in spite of, that is to say, we're not lovable. We haven't merited. We don't deserve his love. We do that, which would in a normal situation, in a relationship, cause the other not to love. We rebel against him. We fight against him. We offend him. We sin against him, you see. But still, he loves us. What I read after our time of confession, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we are yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the whole point of that little bit in the book of Romans is is who else would do that? I mean, somebody might give a great deal, maybe even their life for a good, a righteous man, but, 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 but that's about it. But, but for their enemy, for the one who's offended, that's the kind of love of Christ, you see. And so his love for us is, is different than our love for him. He deserves our love. If he loves in spite of, we love because of, because of who he is. There isn't any offense in him at all. And so you see, our love for him is merited by him. It's because of who he is and what he's done that we 
are to love him. Not to love Jesus is the height of injustice. That's why it's sin. He's done nothing that would lead us to despise him in any way, disparage him in any way. And so when he speaks of loving him, it it, it simply is part and parcel with believing in him, trusting him, knowing him, all of those things together. It isn't that we believe him, then we come to love him. It isn't that we believe and then later love him. All of this is meshed together. Belief, trust, faith, love for Jesus. We're to, we're to love him. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, puts it starkly like this in chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, he puts, If anyone has no love for the Lord... Let him be accursed, our Lord, come. In other words, he says, we so love the Lord, Jesus, as believers in him, that we desire him to come. We can't wait to see him. And so the the begging, the, the prayer, the plea on our lips is, please come, Jesus. We want you here. We want to see you. We want to be present with you, you present with us. And, and that's this love, you see, that we have or are to have. For him. So then this question, do I love him? How would I know? Well, he tells us how we would know. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how you know if you love me. You keep my commandments. No, we must be careful here. Let's lay it out like this. This expression, keep my commandments, is not a command. (laughs) It sounds like one because it has the word commandment in it. That makes it very um, uh, confusing. Uh, You'd think it's in the imperative, if you will. You'd think it's a command to keep his commandments. But really, it's in the future tense. He's saying, if you love me, here's what will happen. If you love me, this is what is consistent With my love. This is what's expected. This is inevitable. All those who love me will keep my commandments. Implied, if you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me. Because these things are interlocked. They go together. Now, secondly then, when we're sort of breaking this down, is we mustn't think keeping his commandments, obeying his commandments means that we do it perfectly or that Jesus had that expectation. No, no, no. What he means is you have a a heart to obey me. That's your heart's desire. When you don't obey me, you feel remorse. That's why we live as believers in this rhythm of life. And the rhythm of life goes something like this. We hear the truth from the scripture concerning God in our lives and ourselves. And then we take that truth And we believe it. It's from God. It is true. And then we take that truth from God, which we believe, and we apply it to our lives. And when we see our lives in the mirror of it, if you will, in the reflection of it, then we see where we've fallen short, where we've sinned. That grieves us. In the grief of that, we make confession of our sin. And as we make confession of our sin in the grief of it, then we repent. That is, it's our heart's desire to turn from that sin. 
And so we pray that God would not only forgive us, but, but help us. We, we did that today in our, in our prayer of, of, of confession. It all was wrapped together. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Where does that expression come from? It comes from the fact that we read the truth that says we're to love God. And we're to love one another. So that's the truth. We believe that. We believe that is true. We should. That's right to do. Not to do that is wrong to do. It's sin. And so we see that. We apply it to our lives. So in that mirror, as we look in the reflection of the word of God, then we look into our own lives and we realize that we haven't as we ought. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And so we, we confess that as sin. And if you're applying that rightly, you're going down the list of all the people in your life. I don't usually give you enough time to really do that. But you need to really do that. So then deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong that we've done. Well, why would we be sorrowful for the wrong that we've done? We'd only be sorrowful for the wrong that we've done if we love. We don't really love. And it really doesn't matter. We really don't care. Let's face it. We've all hurt people. And it hasn't bothered us a bit. So we say, deepen within us the sorrow for the wrong that we've done and the good we've left undone. Because you see, if we aren't sorrowful for it, it means we don't really care. It means we don't really love. Lord, you're full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. There's always forgiveness with you. And then restore to us the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken. Give light to our minds, strength to our wills, rest to our souls. Speak to each of us and let your word abide with us until it's wrought in us your holy will. That is to say, we repent and we say, God, help us not to live this out. That's what we're doing, you see. That's the rhythm of our lives. And, and you see, when, when Jesus says that if we love him, we'll keep his word, he means that's it. Your heart's desire is to keep it. When you don't, it'll bother you. When you, when you don't, you'll struggle with it. We all do. Husbands struggle to love wives. Wives struggle to love husbands. That's true. Just because we don't, from time to time, doesn't mean we don't love. Because we feel that sorrow, that remorse, and we go in confession and repentance. So that's this sense of it. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it doesn't mean we can't fake it. That's the sadness, isn't it? That we really can fake it. No, God isn't ever, God isn't ever faked out, right? We can only fake ourselves out for a while and fake each other out. We can act as if we love God. We can show up to church. We can teach Sunday school. We can give. We can, we can help the poor. We can do all kinds of things. That in of itself doesn't mean that we love him. We can be doing that for a variety of motives. But, but that doesn't reduce the fact to say that those who love will keep his commandments. That's true. We can't fake it. That's the danger of our lives. When we find ourselves faking it, then we move through this whole rhythm again of the truth, ourselves, confession, Repentance, life. That's the rhythm, that's the cycle, if you will, of the lives that we live. But this isn't legalism. 
See, legalism means that I'm going to do so that I can be accepted. I can, I'll obey, I'll keep his commandments so that then I'll merit his acceptance. This isn't it at all. Jesus, if you love me, you see, those who love him are those who have been loved by him. And I read out of this passage in 1 John chapter 4, we love, why? Because he first loved us. See, our love for him is a derivative. It comes from the fact that he's loved us. Loved by him, his love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I read that too, Romans chapter 5. If you were listening to all the passages I read today, you don't have to listen to this. <laughs> it's all there. We love because he first loved us. If you love him, it means you've been loved by him. And being loved by him means that he's died for you, Christ has. And, and you know that and you believe that and you trust that. And so you've come into this Christianity, this peace with God, not because of your own merit, anything you've done. You've, you've completely erased that. You've said, no, 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 that isn't it at all. But now that I'm in, now that I've been loved, who am I? Who's he made me to be? He's made me to be, making me to be a lover of God. I wasn't. That was my sin. But now he's dealt with my sin. You see, when Jesus deals with our sin, he deals with the whole of it, not the part of it. He deals with the whole of it. You see, the, diff- the sin results in our guilt and condemnation. Sin results in our corruption. That is, that we're bent against God. It's the nature of our lives in sin. And so when Christ comes, he deals with all of that, not just part of that. And so he comes and he deals with our guilt. That's what the blood of Christ deals with, our, his death deals with our guilt. And we ask his forgiveness, we receive it. We're forgiven, pardoned, justified, that is, declared righteous in his sight. But that isn't all. He also deals with the corruption caused by sin in our hearts. Because he loves us, he doesn't want to leave us in the condition that he found us. And so that's what it means to be born again this new life, this new inclination. So not only does he deal with the guilt, he deals with the corruption, the pollution in us caused by sin. And so here's how the law functions in our lives. Here's how these commandments function in our lives. First of all, the Holy Spirit takes us to the commandments of God and those commandments break us. We talk about being broken. First and foremost, there's a moral brokenness in our lives. Often we speak of brokenness and we think of all the bad things that have happened to us and how that's affected us. And that does cause us to be broken. We live broken lives in that sense. But there is something deeper and, and, and even, even first before all of that. It's this moral brokenness that we have in our lives because we've sinned against God. And so when Jesus comes, of course, by his blood, he deals with that 
brokenness. So the Holy Spirit takes us to the law and it breaks us and it leads us, convicts us of our sin. So we go to Christ for forgiveness. But then you see, the Holy Spirit takes us back to that law and he says, now, here's how you love God. And we say, that's what I want. That's who I need to be. Now, as I said, we don't do it perfectly, so we're always living in this cycle of, of, of seeing the truth and confessing and, and asking and, and living and all of that. But you remember how Jesus summarized The law, he summarized it really in one word, love. Not restriction, not bondage, but love. See, love always has rules. Every husband knows that. (laughs) Not initially, right? But, but you know, because you break them, and then you learn what they are. Every relationship of love, every wife knows that in relationship to her husband. Because the rule says, this is how you love me. This is what love means. And so we don't think we know what it means. We go to God and say, what does this mean? How do I love you? And he says, all right, here's how you love me. Don't have any other gods before me. To love me means that you look to me for me to define your life and to direct it. That's what it means. And you're going to find your delight in me and in me alone. That's what it means to love me. You depend upon me completely for everything as creature depending on creator. And so you come to me and you say, God, how do I love you? He says, well, 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 trust me. Believe me. Let me, here's who you are. Let me define you. Here's how you're to live. Let me direct you. Depend upon me and delight in my definition and direction of you. That's what it means to love me, to be satisfied in me and me alone. What it means to love me is don't create an image of me. You see, I think, this is my opinion, the greatest sin of our culture is that of breaking the second commandment of not loving God in a way that the second commandment prescribes, which is that we're not to have any images of him. And we don't create little idols necessarily. But what we do is we say, God is like this. I'm going to make God to be who I want him to. I think he should be. And so I'm going to create that God. That's who God is. It's not that we say we're atheists. We just don't believe in the God of the Bible. We believe that God is like this. And not as he really is. Yeah, so God says, if you want to love me, love me. Don't love who you want me to be. How many kids have said to parents, love me, not who you want me to be. Or wives to husbands, love me, not who you think I ought to be. And God says, no, no, love me. I learned recently of a man who was singing in the choir of a church. And living with a woman who isn't his wife. How can you do that? That isn't love to God, nor to this woman, by the way. But it's saying, here's who God is. I can sing in the choir and worship him. And I can live with a woman who isn't my wife. Because 
God's okay with that. And God says, that isn't who I am. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. We gossip and we're materialistic and all of that. And if we can do that without repentance, you see, what we're saying is that God really doesn't mind that. And he said, no, 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 no. You've created an image of me that isn't true. You're not loving me. You're loving who you want me to be. You want me to be the kind of God that says, yeah, gossip is fine and materialism is fine and all these respectable sins that you carry out as a community. God says, if you love me, you won't disparage my name. God says, if you love me, you'll set aside a time, a Sabbath, to, to gather with the people of God and rejoice and worship that if you love me. And if you love me, you'll love one another, which means you'll honor family relationships, which means you won't destroy life and the lives of others, which means that you'll be faithful. You'll allow me to find what sexual intimacy is and you'll be faithful in that and not be adulterous. It means that you won't steal. It means that you won't lie. It means you won't covet what other people have. Because to covet what other people have has says, I want it, not you. But he says, no, no, be happy. Love means you'll be happy when they have something even if you don't. So that, that that's... True of those who love me. Not legalistic. That's just love. And he says, so those who love me will keep my commandments. No commandments in particular. Well, well, Jesus, we could read uh, the Gospels and read what Jesus says. We could read the epistles, really, and read what Jesus said. Because they were writing that which he had taught them. In fact, we can go all the way to Genesis and read the Revelation. That's why I don't like red-letter editions of the Bible. Now, I find red hard to read anyway, but it should all be red. And it should all be red. But it should all be red, right? Because, because really, it's all the Word of God, and so it's all true. So whatever is there, we should, we should do. But Jesus, in this section, makes a special emphasis that we're to love each other as he's loved us. This is his commandment. This is his word. We're to live as he lived. And how did he live? He lived loving his Father. He lived loving us. That's the way we're supposed to live, you see. And so if we love him, we'll really love each other will really love each other, will really forgive each other, will really be kind to each other, will really be patient to each other, will really be gentle with each other, will really be compassionate towards each other, will really be understanding towards each other, will really have self-control so that we won't put our interests ahead of the interests of the others, but will really, really love the other he says if you love me then this is how you will live thus you see his next thought after saying to us if you love me you'll keep my commandments his next thought is oh yeah I'll ask the father and he'll send to you a spirit of truth who will be with you and in you. 
Because Jesus knows that we can't do that. Jesus knows that we're not going to be able to obey that. Jesus knows that we're going to need to be transformed in order to do that. And he says, all right, I'm going to send my spirit to you. Because you see, when my spirit comes and dwells within you, what's taking place is that I'm living in you. And that I'm going to be formed in you. You see, that's the blessing at this point of the Holy Spirit. Why did the Spirit come? Well, we can make a long list, and we will, and we can make a bigger list than is even here. But, but the Spirit of God comes as the Spirit of truth to mediate, to convey all that Jesus has taught us, so we'll know and we'll know Him, so that Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, can dwell within us. Paul writes in Ephesians, in chapter 3, this. He says, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ dwells there. This is the one who really lives what it means to dwell, to really live in us. That you may be rooted and grounded in love and may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, when Christ by the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, Can we say this? That love himself dwells within us. That when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, to be in us, can we not say that because he's the very spirit of truth, the very spirit of Christ, sent by the Father to show us, to reveal to us Christ, can we not say that love himself lives within us? And so how do we know that? How do we grow in that? How how do we come to love him? Well, that night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, this is what sparks love in you. He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. This is the full extent of my love for you. To give myself. The same way he took the cup and after giving thanks this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my love, in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And do this in remembrance of me. The apostle says that as often as we eat of this cup and drink of this cup, eat of this bread, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? In very essence, we're declaring the very love of God, the very love of Christ. This is it. Just think about this. You see, the way that we come to love him is not by saying, oh, I've got to love him, I've got to love him. I the way that we come to love him is by thinking about how he's loved us. This is love. 
Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it's the love of Christ that compels us. We think of his love for us. And what that does is it causes us to be thankful. It causes us to be in awe. It causes us to love him. This is how he's loved us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me for us. If we would see in the very passion sacrifice of Christ, your, his love for us. And Father, that as we think of our unworthiness and his worthiness, of our sin and his perfection, of his sacrifice for us, to see the Lord of glory humbling himself to the point of a servant and even to the point of death on a cross. That would change everything in us. And that we would know that we're loved by him. And knowing that we're loved by him would enable us then, God, to love him. And and, and loving him would put within us a deep desire to keep his commandments. Father, be with us, I pray. Take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that will enable us to know all that Christ has done and his very presence with us and in us that he's as close to us by your spirit as this bread and this juice is within us. And so, Father, knowing that love himself is here and love himself lives within us that we might love as he has loved. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.